Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law will fight that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 292, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And oh, were we tonight at MetLife Stadium in New York as the rare, the only one that we will do all year, the Monday night recording of a podcast on the Cowboys' lone Monday night football appearance of the season. Another win, 23-16 to on the road against New York. The Cowboys now 2-1 and as the entire division now chasing the Philadelphia Eagles who look crazy good. We'll get into all of that. How it happened tonight for the Cowboys with Cooper Rush leading the way again. A lot of thoughts on this one. But before we dive into what we saw tonight, let's tell you about Greening Law. Because I'll tell you this, and again, I I like telling the personal story of this because I work with Greening Law. I am a client of Greening Law. I was in a car accident coming up 15 months ago. I have been having some back problems that I just cannot get right I've gone multiple times, and what happens is when I go to the doctor and they do these procedures, well, then they'll say, well, talk to your attorney, and I'll, I'll shoot the, the guys over there at Greening Law and the green team a message, and the next thing you know, they go, well, let's try this. How about this? Because they, they've really told me, like, straight up, we want you to get to a point we, we need to know, can you feel the way that you felt before your wreck? Like, what's the base, best case scenario? And until that happens, let's exhaust all of our options. And they handle all that. They make the appointments. I have people calling me. It's fantastic. If you've been hurt in a car accident, I cannot recommend Greening Law highly enough. And that's why, if you've ever been involved in one of those, and it doesn't matter whether it's a car accident like Matt's talking about, or whether it's at a retail shop yeah. or a construction site or, you know, any kind of business or somebody else's home, apartment, bill, any of that stuff, man. You just pick up the phone, you give them a call, and you say, hey, here's my situation, here's the details, what do you think? And if they bring you on for a client, then it, to me it's always your lucky day because, as Matt can tell you, this can be kind of a, a tedious process, it can be a complicated process, and who doesn't want somebody holding your hand, leading that flashlight, showing you where to walk uh, when you're going through something like that? It's exactly right. It's so easy to do, too, because the consultation's free. Like, you may not even know if you have a case, Call them and find out. It's free. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. So the Cowboys are 2-1, and one, man. And I got to tell you, this was one of those games. 
I don't know why I felt like the Cowboys were going to win because I don't think the Giants are actually any good. Nothing that I saw tonight changed my mind. I'm sitting there watching that game tonight. I'm like, how in the world is this Giants team 2-0? Their <laughs> offensive line, look, and I get it. The Cowboys have a really good defense and a very good defensive line. I don't know that Daniel Jones had more than five passes where he wasn't under pressure. Bro, I think he was pressured 24 times tonight. I, I, it was insane. It was constant, like nonstop. Every time they snapped the ball to drop back to pass, Daniel Jones was under pressure. Dude, I mean, he did uh, he did about as well as he could do, given the circumstance. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you, you look at this and you look at it, and part of me is like, okay, well, what do I make of this win? You went on the road, you beat a divisional opponent, and in the NFL, I don't care who you play, that counts for something. You did it with a backup quarterback who's playing really good football and is doing exactly what you want a backup quarterback to do. I mean, all these things I kind of want to get into. You had a, a really nice play, plan in your play calling, I thought they used Zeke and Pollard maybe as well as we've ever seen them get used before. And the defense right. continued to step up and make plays and make plays. They had multiple sacks again. Diggs had the interception that sealed the game at the end. And all in all, I, I'm not sitting here thinking I'm watching a Super Bowl team play, but I'm starting to believe that maybe this Cowboys team has a little something that they can discover as the season goes along. Well, I think the thing of it is, thus far, it looks like their defense is legitimate. Yeah. Like, they're a really good defensive team. And, you know, here's the deal, bro. If you can put your ego to the side and say, hey, we got a really good defense, and real talk, they got a really good special teams unit, um, then you can make it happen. But you got to play to your strengths. You can't let your ego get in the way. And if you can do that, man, you have a chance to be in a lot of ball games. And if, you, and if you're in enough of them, then you should win some of them. Yeah, and, and they won this one. And you talk about the defense. I mean, they held Daniel Jones to just above 50% passing. They sacked him five times. He only averaged 5.3 yards in attempt, which is her, just absolutely horrific. Other than the 36-yard... And see, this is what Saquon Barkley does, though. Saquon Barkley will do nothing, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. Bam, there's a 36-yard touchdown run. And that's exactly what he was tonight. Outside of that 36-yard touchdown run, he had 13 for 45. Nothing special at all, but the one touchdown run, explosive, he got it done. Daniel Jones continually gassed them because of the coverage and because of the pressure, and he was actually almost their leading rusher. Jones had nine scrambles for 79 yards tonight. Nah, man. I mean, he if he doesn't scramble nine times, they probably have double-digit sacks. Because, I mean, he, his pure ability allowed him to escape the arms of four or five of them. So uh, it was his legs that kept him in the ball game. if we're going to be honest about it. And, uh, you know, for them, man, it, it, was, it was good for him. But, dude, their offensive line is bad. Evan Neal is just a guy. And the sooner they get him uh, some experience or, or get him to figure out how they can help him, the better. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence early on in this game was turning Evan Neal into the next Chaz Green. No, real talk. I mean, it was that bad. I mean, Tank comes up, and I thought it was nuts. They were saying, like, he hadn't had a pressure all season. He had five tonight. He had three quarterback hits. He had three sacks in one game. He was dominant. It, he almost had another sack, the one where Donovan Wilson got him, but he, he got tripped up coming through the line. So Donovan Wilson got there first. Dorrance Armstrong had a sack. But really, the two defenders that jumped out to me tonight were Tank, who, before he got hurt, was just – they couldn't keep him out of the backfield – 
And Donovan Wilson was all over the field, led the Cowboys with 11 tackles. Nine of those were solo, a tackle for a loss, two quarterback hits, an additional sack, and a pass defense tonight for Donovan Wilson. That dude is a beast against the run, man. Now, you can you can get him in pass coverage, but you need somebody to fill a hole and put people on their butts. Uh, he does that as, as a run defender. He's outstanding. He does. And, and all in all, I mean, again, and this was – I said I was going to give it a couple of weeks. After three weeks, you know, I don't know what we make of it. There's a lot of, I think, shoulder shrugging around the NFL. I, I still think, and again, I, I think we're just in a time period in the NFL. I don't know if we're going to see dominant teams emerge. Maybe in the future we'll see one of those again. There isn't one right now as we sit this year. Again, Miami beat Buffalo. We all thought Buffalo. Oh, my God, Buffalo's amazing. Kansas City lost to the Colts, who were horrible their first two games. So I think there's a lot when you look around the league and it's two and one in the Cowboys and you can say, okay, you had a tough loss against Tampa, who we all thought was pretty good. And then Green Bay made them look ordinary. And then you beat Cincinnati, who coming into the season, everybody thought was good and sucked their first two weeks. And then Burrow turned it on this weekend. And then you beat a two and O Giants team who opened the season by beating a Titans team that was supposed to be really good. I just don't think there's a lot of separation between these teams. And the Cowboys, I think, are showing us kind of what you and I talked about leading into the season, they've got a really good defense, and they've got a defense that's the type of defense that can keep you in games long enough for your offense to make some plays. Against certain types of teams. Um, like, you know, but here's the deal. I don't know how many teams are good enough to run up and down the field against the Cowboys because they didn't get a dominant performance from Micah Parsons tonight. Right. And they were still really effective. Uh, DeMarcus, DeMarcus Lawrence showed up. Uh, Doris Armstrong showed up. Donovan Wilson, as you mentioned, showed up. And so they got good performances, man. But uh, their defense is good enough. They're going to keep them in games. And then it's, you know, this offense, man, through three games, what do we see about the Cowboys' offense in general? I'd say mm. they can run the ball pretty well. Um, I, I, I love Jason Peters at left guard. I, I'd never play Farniak again. I'd cut his uh, ass and just make sure Peters is on there nonstop all the time. I mean, I, I don't know if I cut his ass. Well, I was but, a little drastic. But, but yeah, but <laughs> Connor McGovern is coming back. And I don't know that Connor McGovern is better than Jason Peters once Jason Peters gets into game shape. And so I'd keep the – keep you'd have to beat out Jason Peters uh, because at guard, you know, he's still, I think, going to be better than Connor McGovern. And now you got a real – now you can really run the ball. Um, here's their problem, and maybe this will – maybe this will – the addition of Michael Gallup will stop this. They don't have anybody to stretch the field, man. Yeah, and and that, that is a you, problem. When you can't go deep and make plays deep, um, it's just hard, man, because people just keep getting closer and closer to the line of scrimmage. So, to me, that's what we know. They can run the ball. They can still throw the ball pretty effectively, but they can't, uh, they can't stretch the field. And I'm still trying to figure out what CeeDee Lamb is. Yeah, and, and we got to have that conversation, but I, I wanted to stick, if we can, with the offensive line for a second. Yeah. Because I think the way that it looked when they brought in Peters, and they had those first two drives, and they got a field goal out of the first two drives, it's 3 nothing, and then the Giants tie it at 3-3. It was the third drive when they put Peters in at left guard. The very next play, I mean, it's like yeah. you, you can't write this stuff. The very next play with Peters at left guard and Smith at left tackle is the one that Tony Pollard explodes for 46 yards through the hole. And I just sit there going, man, was it that simple? 
did you just <laughs> did you just need to get Peters in here? And I don't know about you, man, but and again, like you like to say to my untrained eye, I'm sitting there going, my God, they look big on the left side with Peters in there. Dude, no, they looked huge over there, man. Um, that to me is the play. That's the move that you want. Uh, because I mean, Tyler Smith looks to me like he's progressing really nicely. Um, at left tackle, uh, that that looks to me like by the end of the season he'll be really good over there. Uh, Jason Peters, man, to me, he just understands how to play the game, and yeah. he's still, yeah. you know, think about it, think about it, man. He played left tackle all his time. All right, and I, I've explained this to y'all before, uh, and we talked about it a little bit last week. But he's played left tackle, you know, for his entire career. He's been on an island, okay, where guys can try to run around, and do all this other stuff. If you move him to guard, you can't get away from him. So even at forty years old, even if he's lost some athleticism that that would really harm him at tackle, it doesn't really harm him at guard because you don't have to be that great an athlete. Because what the defensive tackle is right in front of you. Mm. You, I mean, there he is. You ain't got to go looking for him. And he can't run away from you because he's right there. And as a pass protector, typically your guards are your worst pass protectors. Now, he's a left tackle. He ain't going, even if he's an older left tackle, he's still going to be a superior pass protector as a guard. So all of a sudden, look what Biotis has next to him. Zach Martin and Jason Peters. That should make him better. And so just like that, you can make your offensive line a lot better if you just leave Peters in there, if, you know, his body can hold up. Yeah, and that's the hope being 40 years old. But, my, I mean, look, the, the drive after that, the fourth drive, is a drive where they run to the left side and Zeke goes for 27 yards <laughs> to the left side. And right, right. You, you saw all of a sudden they started to make more of an effort of running it to the left side because of the push that they were getting and some of the separation that Peters and Smith were able to get on that left side. And... You know, I'm glad that they made that happen because it really felt like once they did that, and the run game had been okay, I'll say okay for the first couple of drives because Pollard had like that end around or whatever we want to call it for 13, and Zeke had a couple of runs. You know, Zeke is doing that six, that five, that four, and everybody's getting all pissed off at Zeke because Pollard comes in and goes for 46 when they're, they're two different types of runners, and I feel like in today's game, you need to have both of them on your team. No, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, it was good to see uh, they seemed like they got the carries the way they wanted them today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think Pollard ended up with a couple more than Zeke, but it was it was basically 50-50. The interesting to me that Pollard was in there closing out the game uh, to start the final drive with like three, three and a half yeah. minutes uh, left uh, because that's usually Zeke time. Uh, it worked out pretty well. Um, but uh, it was just interesting to me that Pollard was that guy that they chose to close out the game. Yeah, and, and so overall tonight, Pollard had 13 for 105, and Zeke had 15 for 73. So everybody wants to sit here and go, oh, well, why don't they use Pollard more? And, and so I was looking at this earlier, and, and just to that point, tonight was Tony Pollard's 89th game as a college or pro player. So in 89 games at the college and pro level, Tonight was just the seventh time ever that he has had more than 12 rushing attempts in a game. <laughs> he had 13 tonight. His NFL high, by the way, and it's tonight, I think, was his 49th game in the NFL. He's only ever had 14 as a high in the NFL. His high in college was 17, and that was the only time he had more than 11. So, again, like, like he's just not that type of runner, which is okay. 
Like, like, I don't know why people are screaming, and, and I get it, I guess, because you want to expose him more because you think he can do that more often. But the reality of it is, like, and I think you hit it when you said, tonight it felt like the balance was about as good as they've ever had it with Zeke and Pollard because Zeke will go in between in the middle and take those big hits in, in some of those nasty yards that you need that set up things for Pollard to be able to come in with that explosiveness that he has. Trust me. When Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore look at the look at the stats and they go, oh, not including quarterbacks, we ran the ball 28 times for 178 yards yeah. and a touchdown. We good. <laughs> right, exactly. We good. Yeah. Uh, they had the 46, they had the 27. I know Zeke also had a 12. I know Pollard had at least two 10s. So what is that, five runs of 10 yards or more just off the top of my head? Yeah. Uh, two runs of more than 20, um, six yards a carry, basically. Trust me, they don't care who's getting those yards. If they can get that kind of production from those two guys, they will take that, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, as Mama used to say. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and uh, moving forward again, I don't know that you want a guy, again, le- again, let's, if you want to even ex- expand the point even more so, so in 89 games at the college or pro level, Tony Pollard has ever only had more than 14 carries once. And that's when he had 17 carries once in Memphis. That's it. That's the only time ever out of 89 college or pro games that the dudes had more than 14. So as effective as we all think he can be and as explosive as he has been, again, I don't know that you want to overexpose a guy like that in taking some of those big hits that Zeke can eat for you. No, you don't. (laughs) And you don't have to. Um, Nor do you want to. And uh, it's okay for both those guys to do it. And, you know, we've seen it around here before with Julius Jones and Marion Barber. It's a terrific one-two punch. Um, If you can take that, and for a while, uh, you know, Felix Jones was kind of their niche back, was their version of Tony Pollard, uh, you know, whenever Wade Wade uh, Phillips was here. Uh, so we've seen it before. This works. It's working. The players don't seem to have an issue with it. And so I think for this year, it's a good it's a good look. I agree. And it worked really nice tonight. It was nice to see. And, and the run game was functioning, man. And, and the other thing – you got to give some props to Cooper Rush because Cooper Rush, I mean, all the stats are out there now where, where you're starting to see he's 3-0 and and he has those fourth quarter drives and that whole bit. And I just saw this other stat that somebody sent where Cooper Rush is the first undrafted quarterback to win each of his first three NFL starts and throw for 750 yards or more in those starts since Kurt Warner in the 99 Rams. And Kurt Warner so and the Rams won the Super Bowl that year. So Rush is going to the Hall of Fame. And so Cowboys there it is. Win the Super Bowl yep. this year. <laughs> and, and now it's just who's going to play him in the movie. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a book on him next year. You should. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but, I, I mean, look, you well, for whatever reason, they were right. Cooper Rush knows the offense. It's obvious that him and Noah Brown have something going on with each other. He was effective, although not spectacular. The guy makes some throws. He was 21 of 31. 215 yards he doesn't turn it over he makes the safe throws and like I said it feels like they do some things to design some nice throws for him you know and I kind of wonder are those plays that they do for Dak but Dak checks out of him or or Dak tries to to do something that Rush doesn't try to do I don't know what it is but it works I mean right now what you're asking Cooper Rush is don't lose us the game and he certainly is not doing that yeah but see they asked Dak to win the game 
Yeah. And so they're asking guys to do two different things. And, and the, you know, the bottom line is they, they did go 12 possessions between touchdowns. And so it was good for them to be able to finally put up some points and have three straight scoring drives. Uh, not And I'm not saying that's all Cooper Rush's fault because uh, his guys were not making plays for him at a certain point of the game today. But what he's done is, and I think we discussed it last week, we certainly talked about it a little bit with uh, Todd Archer last Tuesday, was that the game never seems too big for him. Like when Ben, ben DiNucci was out there, uh, whenever he had his chance a couple years ago, he just looked skittish. Like, oh, my God, the game was moving a 1,000 miles an hour for him, and he just looked out of place. It never looks that way with Cooper Rush. And so if you can stay calm in the middle of the storm, at least you give yourself a chance to execute. And so that's what I mean. Like, I don't uh, I don't really think he threw an interceptable ball tonight. And, uh, you know, he just looks in control and in command. Yeah. And what he's done is two things. One, they won't be putting him on waivers next year because somebody will scoop him up. And two, uh, he's making a million dollars this year on a one-year deal. He's going to make significantly more than that next year. <laughs> That's very true. And I, I will say you're right. I don't think he did throw an interceptable ball. I mean, he had some passes that were off and, and obviously Everybody a couple does, of drops. Like and, and we'll have to get into the, the whole C.D. Lamb thing, of course. But I thought all in all, I mean, Cooper Rush has played some really, really good football. But the reality of it is, you know, Dak's going to come back. He's... I know that Jerry wanted to make that whole thing in, in the quarterback controversy. It was on all the shows this week. It's the talking, oh, this, what's going to happen? Dak is, is the guy, but Cooper Rush is doing – I mean, to me, it's, it's, you talk about it all the time. We've talked about it for years on the show. You want your backup quarterback to be somebody that you can put in that won't lose you the football game. And that's exact – I mean, Cooper Rush is playing the backup quarterback role as good as you can play it. No, I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's what you want. And not only that is he's giving you a chance to win games uh, through his play. So, you know, he's, he's doing terrific as a backup quarterback. You can't, uh, I'm not sure you can ask much more from him. Yeah. I don't know what it would be, man. I mean, again, they've been in some tight situations and he's come out with two wins. He's three and zero in his career now, and we'll see if they can keep it going next week against the Washington team that I, I don't think is very good, but we'll see what that looks like. So, before we continue here and we get into some of the other things from this game in the Cowboys win tonight, let's tell you about Bruce Biltong. If you haven't ordered your Bruce Biltong yet, and I know a lot of you are new podcast listeners and it's awesome to have you guys with us, you got to check them out. It's BruceBiltong.com. It's B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. Biltong is a meat it's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's a South African traditional air-dried meat. Jacques and I have it. it, it like, I have a bag in my house right now, and, and to me, I just enjoy it as a snack because it's, it's just a lot easier than beef jerky. It's more tender. It's more savory. It's a better flavor. It's not like you don't feel like you're eating a piece of rock. <laughs> no, instead, you're eating a very tender butt strip. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I <laughs> sounds like. so weird. You know, to Matt's say that. laughing. Well, you know, I like to come up with names for everything, but uh, butt strips is what it is, man. I mean, it's true. Uh, it it is. comes from it comes from the hind parts of uh, of animals. They 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 strip it up and uh, make it dry it out, and make it not too dry though, and that's why it's good. It's uh, it's really a delicacy to me, man. The sliced biltong, that's where it's, that's where it rocks. Uh, y'all know I'm always uh, I'm always concerned about the weight, man, and what's in it. This is great for you. 230 calories and two ounce pouch, 30 grams of protein. You can have biceps like mine. You eat enough of this stuff, bro. Wow, look at you. So that's all it yeah, takes, I, huh? 
I threw that out there, didn't I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> if you want biceps like Jacques, eat Biltong. Boom. See, it works. It's bruisebiltong.com. Use the promo code JAM15 at checkout. You'll get 15% off your order. Also, of course, JR and his guys over there at Freeway Tire Shop. If you are in the DFW area or apparently in Texarkana and you want to come into Dallas, if you need anything done to your car, and, and see, this is what I don't live in the DFW area anymore. And shockingly, sorry, JR, I'm not going to drive 10 hours each way for an oil You're change. You're lost. I know, right? <laughs> but <laughs> no, this is one of those things. I was thinking about this today because I have to go get like a tire rotation, an oil change and stuff. And I need to do it in the next week or two. And I was like, man, in Dallas, I wouldn't even have to think about it. I just go to Freeway Tire Shop. And here I'm like, man, I, you know. I'm not really sure if I want to go back to the place I went to last time and that whole type of thing. So that's what I love about Freeway is once you discover them, you you just go there forever and you know you're good. No, nah, man. Um, I take all my cars there because you can trust JR. He learned uh, customer service when he was in the H, uh, the home, the what do you call it? The management program at yeah. Home Depot. And he's just taken all the things he learned over there and brought them over to his own company. And so the customer service is fantastic. And I like to say it doesn't matter whether he's there or not, but um, I, I trust him, bro. I trust him to diagnose whatever's wrong with my car, and then I trust him to use quality parts to fix my car, which is a big deal, man. Then I trust him to charge me a fair price, another big deal. And finally, bro, probably the biggest deal, I trust him to stand behind his work, man. Too many mechanics don't. Uh, he does. Hey, he's five minutes uh, north of downtown, right off of Commonwealth. You can't miss him. Freeway tire, rock your car, drive drive it over there. You'll be glad that you did if you got any kind of issue. It's Freeway Tire Shop, man. It's right there. If you're in the DFW area, you absolutely need to be using JR and Freeway Tire Shop. Schedule your appointment. You can also request a quote online at freewaytireshop.com. So let's tackle the big question of the night. The Cowboys win. Everybody's happy. All is well. CeeDee Lamb makes an unbelievable catch in the end zone, a one-handed catch. Like, my God, look at that. And nobody gives a crap because CeeDee Lamb dropped a wide-open pass that most likely probably would have been a touchdown pass. And that's all anybody can talk about. And I got to tell you, I mean, my God, it is interesting to me. And I even made a note of this. I, I thought, let's see, where did I put? I said, it's interesting to me because you forget how Cowboys fans can be, how many people three games into his number one wide receiver part of his career with no other wide receivers of note around him, how many people are willing to write off CeeDee Lamb as, oh, this guy can't be a wide receiver one. He's trash. He's not any good. He sucks. He can't be a one. And I just thought, okay, I get it. Yeah, you got to catch that ball. That inexcusable. I don't care if you're number one wide receiver or not. You could, if you're in the NFL, you should catch that ball. True that, true that. But again, he made the, a, a really nice catch on the fourth and one that they converted that they needed when he knew he was going to get drilled. And the catch in the corner of the end zone, is he a number one wide receiver? We don't truly know. But I don't know that the guy dropping a wide open pass all of a sudden means he sucks and he can't be a wide receiver number one. No, it just means that, that he needs to play better. And he needs to be more consistent. And, um, you know, he's got a whole season to prove that. Uh, here's what you can say. And here's what you should say. He was better week two than week one. And I think overall he was better today, week three, than he was week two. Um, yes, the drop was awful. Uh, but 
He he made a couple nice catches in the first quarter before the drop, and on the the drive where they where they went ahead, he caught four for forty eight, including the uh, spectacular touchdown in the back of the end zone. And the play before that that set up the spectacular toe tap in the back of the end zone was another nice play where he made a catch, made a defender miss, and then tried to run over a dude at the three. So he made, he did a lot of good stuff tonight, man. He's still uh, he's still growing into the job, but there you, he's showing you more and more why he can do it and it's not his fault that a team left him shorthanded with no help around him yeah and and you get a lot of this man i mean multiples of you on twitter tweeting some form of this cd needs to change his number 88s don't drop these passes so frustrating to watch like this guy as a former wide receiver like okay i, I mean man, shut up I'm, stop it because you played in the nfl <laughs> anyway i mean yeah. i don't know you know, hit him in the hands. Lamb is the wide receiver wearing number 88. Got to make that catch. Misses too many balls. Uh, another one who says for CD wanting to be a number one, he hasn't played like one. Come on. And I'm just sitting here. You know, guys, I get it. The drop is inexcusable. But I will say this again. That is a drop. It doesn't matter if you're the number one or if you just got activated off the practice squad. If you're in the NFL, you should catch that ball 100 times out of 100 times. <laughs> the other one that people are bitching about is the ball that was tipped before it got to him that he he just missed off the ground because it would and people are oh that's a drop. I was like, I mean I'm not even going to count that. The ball got tipped and it was on the ground. And then the one that Lamb or rushed through to him deep where McKinney had really good coverage on him and McKinney, the ball hit McKinney's arm. Now it was slightly behind Lamb, and if if Rush had thrown it further ahead of him, he might have caught it. But McKinney had hit him on the arm. He made the play on the ball, and then some guy tweets and goes, "Well, he should have fought for that one and caught it." And it goes back to what you always like to say: you realize the other guys get paid too, right? Yeah. Now that was a terrific play. Um, just, I mean, it was. He had his hands right there, and maybe he catches it if the dude doesn't have his hand right there. But he didn't right. even give him a chance to. Um, you know, they, they, uh, CD did some really good stuff tonight, man. He's just got to build on it. He's got to continue to be more consistent. And, um, that to me is the key because we all know he's got talent. We've seen it his first two years. But it's a difference between being a man and being a man next to the man. Uh, the Cowboys have asked him to be the man. They've asked, they've accelerated his progress. And now, you know, they, he's got to do it. Yeah. And I just, I'm not ready to bail out on a dude who's 23 years old in his third professional season, in his third game as the featured number one wide receiver to sit here and act like he can't be a number one. I've seen CeeDee Lamb do a lot of really good things. A lot of really good things. Does he drop too many balls? Yes, I, I don't think that that's debatable. You know who else dropped a ton of balls when they first came into the league their first couple of years? Devontae Adams led the NFL in drops one year. Tyree Kill, he's pretty damn good. Two years ago, led the NFL in drops. Guys drop balls in the NFL, so I'm not ready to sit here and say because he dropped the ball today and he may drop another pass next week that this guy right. can't be a featured number one wide receiver. I, I just think that's a very short-sighted, I'm a Cowboy fan and I'm pissed in the moment sensation that everybody has apparently attached themselves to tonight. No, clearly. I mean, clearly that's, that's the deal. But you know we live in a, especially in, in the social media world, it, you know, it's all about the moment. And, you know, what you're feeling at that particular moment. And so, you know, people can go overboard. It's, it's their right as fans, which is, is kind of funny sometimes. But, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, this whole thing with the 88, like, are we forgetting that Antonio Bryant wore it? 
<laughs> Jackie Harris war. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, the ultimate drop. God, you know, but I'm just saying, like, it's just so no. funny. How many people, I mean, no fewer than like 20 people tonight in some form or fashion about the 88 being his jersey. You know, like this latest one that just came in while we're having this conversation. At least he caught one in the end zone. He does need to get more fer- focused, earn that number 88. I'm like, dude, we're talking about a guy who had 79 for 1102 last year. You know, I, I yeah. mean, I get it. I, I, I get th- three games into the season, he's not dominating because other teams are going, hey, if we bracket CeeDee Lamb, we can probably eliminate him from most of the routes and whatnot because who else is going to beat us? And that's really the I whole mean, thing, bro. <laughs> I mean, that, that really is. And so that's why I cut CeeDee some break. And again, we're still trying to figure out who he is and what he's all about. Um, yeah, of course I said he needed to play better because he did after week one. And I said, hey, um, he's not a true number one receiver yet. Uh, perhaps he will be at the end of the year. He's moving toward it. It just hadn't happened yet. Yeah, and that's one of those things with CD. I get the frustration, trust me. I mean, we're all sitting there going, my God. I mean, that's a totally different game. As somebody said, well, it never would have been this close if CD had caught that ball. Well, we have no idea if that's true or not. Would he have scored? Most likely he does. I don't know. That that safety looked like he had the angle on him. Maybe he gets knocked out of the 10, and the Cowboys had already had two drives to the 10-yard line or, or more in the game and got a field goal out of it. So, exactly. again, it's, it's still the Cowboys' offense, and I don't know, man. It's just one of those things. I'm not going to bail out on CD at this point. If we get deeper into the season and, and he's leading the league in drops, then maybe we've got a problem. But when I look at a guy like CeeDee Lamb, he had eight for 87 and a touchdown tonight. He was targeted 12 times. One of those was a blatant flat-out drop. A couple of them, they were just misthrows by or a great play like McKinney made. And then the other one was tipped when they were trying to get it to him. That's no fault of his. You know, again, sometimes the defense is going to make a play. Um, I think sometimes people forget that, bro. They and, do. And it's up, it's up to us to remind them. That uh, that the other guys get paid to, and that nobody's perfect. As I always like to remind folks, man, have you been perfect at your job? <laughs> no matter what they pay you, have you been perfect at your job? Because I know for a fact I haven't been perfect at mine over the years. Mm. Um, everybody screws up. Everybody makes mistakes. Yes, these are high stakes, but you just have to understand what the deal is, man. Uh, CeeDee Lamb's a really interesting player. Uh, when Michael Gallup gets back, the way Noah Brown is playing, uh, let's see if, you know how things change. But again, you know, so there's always going to be a lot of pressure on him because they need him to be a number one guy, and right. um, you know that's that's the position he's in. And if he wants that one of those contracts, man, that pays you thirty million dollars a year or twenty eight million dollars a year, then then you got to be one. That's why those guys make that money, bro. Yeah, that's very true. And, and again, part of it, and I thought it was, you know, Troy had an interesting, I think it was the fourth and one where Troy brought out the idea on the third down, they had bracketed CD and had eliminated him from the play where they couldn't get anything going on that play. He said, I think it's interesting. Like they went away from that on that fourth and one and left them one-on-one rush goes right to him and lamb makes a play. Yeah. So it's sometimes how the defense is also, attacking the Cowboys knowing that CeeDee Lamb is going to be the main guy. And look, as nice as Noah Brown has been, and Noah Brown has been doing some really good things for them, there is not a defense in the NFL who is afraid of Noah Brown. You know, I tried to tell somebody that earlier, man. 
that Noah Brown's a really good player right now, or he's playing well right now. But again, ain't nobody game planning for Noah Brown because Noah Brown has not proved he will bust your ass if you don't game plan for right. him. And that's the way the NFL works. If you're not going to bust my ass, Dalton Schultz, we'll just let you kind of do what you do. If you're going to bust my ass, Tyreek Hill, then we're going to come up with some special stuff to see if we can slow you down. Yeah, because you'll beat us. And, right. and Noah Brown's not beating them. The other thing that jumps out from this game, and this again, and this was going to be the Mike McCarthy focus in the offseason. We heard about it in the spring. We heard about it going into training camp. Here we are, and I don't understand how this continually happens. We are now three full weeks into the season. There are only three teams that have more penalties against them than the Dallas Cowboys. One of them is the Giants. The Cowboys have 23 penalties in three games. The Giants and the Saints have 24. Denver has 30 somehow. And then you look at it, only Denver has had more flags thrown on them than the Cowboys because the Cowboys have had 28 flags, but five of those were declined for whatever reason. So you look at that, and again, the Cowboys are one of the most penalized teams in football, and they are, I swear, I don't know what it is, they are masters at committing penalties at the most inopportune times. I, th- I think tonight there were five that they committed on third down that either wiped out a first down for them or extended a Giants drive. Dude, and those are the ones that get you beat, man. I mean, really, those are the ones that get you beat. And, you know, the one that stands out to me is uh, Jordan Lewis' yeah. illegal contact on third and 14. Like, bro, like, you just have to understand the situation. It's third and 14. You can't commit illegal contact right there. I mean, if a guy jumps over, he makes a catch, then he jumps over, he makes a catch. But illegal contact on third and 14, yeah. historically, that's like a 10% conversion, bro. You just can't give it to him. You got to make him earn it. Yeah. You know, uh, then they had the personal foul on Sam Williams, another dumb penalty. Uh, the the um, unsportsmanlike contact on Donovan Wilson, another dumb penalty. Dude, it's just uh, even. Yeah, I mean, even on, the, one, on the first drive they had one where Zeke went for six, and instead of a third and two, they didn't necessarily get the first down. But there was a hold on Farniok or Farniak, whatever his name is, and it went yeah. from a, it literally went from a third and two to a second and eighteen. What do you think happens on a second and eighteen? You end up punting. over. I mean, Drives over. You know, and, and and it's just it's unbelievable, man. You had another one on the the Giants' first drive. Micah got really good pressure on a third and three. Oh, never mind. It was defensive holding on the Cowboys, so now it's a first down instead of, hey, good pressure, had to get rid of the ball, they're going to punt. Yeah, these against better teams, these types of of mistakes just kill you, bro. They just do. Um, and at some point, they've they've got to, they've got to stop them, or they'll lose some gains because of it, bro. I mean, it's really just that simple. You can't continue to make these types of mistakes and get away with them. Yeah, and, and, and those were, I think, when you start looking at the negatives of the night, and you talk, obviously, the lamb drop is the one that everybody's going to focus on, but the penalties, man, you know, you had this situation on a third and goal. I think it was the, the second drive where they had a false start on third and goal. So then instead of, like, third and you're inside the 10, now it's third and goal from the 11. Good luck converting that. You don't, and instead of maybe getting a touchdown – you get a field goal. So you're leaving points on the field because of dumbass penalties like that. And they just, the fact that we are doing it again, where they are at the very top of the league, 
one of the three or four most penalized teams in football is the Dallas Cowboys after that was supposed to be a point of focus for them. Right. You just right. kind of wonder, where, is, where does that come from? Why does that continue to be a problem for this team? Um, some of it's a lack of focus. Um, some of it is just guys are not football smart. Or, you know, their football IQ is a B instead of an A or it's a C plus instead of a B. Um, and you just, you know, you just run into these mistakes because it's not like it's one guy committing all of these. And the other thing is, you know, what are the consequences for you making mistakes and committing penalties? Ultimately, there's really none. Uh, coach get mad at you, coach yell at you. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like they're going to take, you know, playing time away or whatever. And so, you know, you just have to figure out how to get your team smarter about it. Uh, you know, I was talking to uh, Dennis Thurman. He's the defense coordinator at Jackson State. Y'all may remember him. He played nine seasons for your Dallas Cowboys. I do the, remember uh, him, yes. Late 70s, early 80s. And, I, and you know, Jackson State is a college program, so it's different. It's a good college program, so it's different. Basically, when you commit those types of penalties on uh, Jackson State's team this year, they yank you out the game for, for a series or a couple plays or whatever. Um, but so I was asking Dennis Thurman. I was like, "Yo, man, y'all, how did y'all not commit these penalties with with uh, with Landry's, or did you?" And he said, "No." He said, uh, "Landry, they they had all these uh, these drills to try to create discipline, and they had a track around their practice field. And if you, if you committed a penalty, then I think he said at the end of practice you had to run a half, you had to run the quarter." Um, you know, and if you committed two, you had to run a, ha a half a mile after practice. And if you committed three, you know, I mean, y'all can do the math. And what it was was they ended up doing those drills so often so much that it made them a very disciplined team, you know, because they, they did all those drills about hard counts. And, I mean, they actually had hard count drills and other drills designed for you to get used to being disciplined at those moments when you were tired or, or the game was very chaotic. Hmm. Uh, I don't think that was I don't know that that's revolutionary That's just what they did back in the day But it's clear that the Cowboys have got to do something Because it's just hard They're not good enough offensively To overcome the mistakes that they make Yeah, that's very true And that's something like you mentioned it And that's reality, man I mean, if they continue to commit penalties like this They will lose a game At some point because of the inopportune penalties Oh, there's no doubt about it. It's coming. Like, I always make a note when I'm watching the game and writing down my notes and whatnot, and I always bold the penalties, wondering, is this the penalty that I'm going to look back on and go, man, you know, they had a chance. They were driving the field, and that became a third down that they got wiped off, and because of that, the other team scored a touchdown, and there you go, instead of a punt. I mean, it's going to happen. It's, it's just sloppiness, I guess. And, and the, the other thing, and this is interesting, because this is before the drop happens. Because everybody wants to blame the lack of a touchdown early in the game on the CeeDee Lamb drop. They had four drives. Their first four drives, they got six points out of that. They had a drive in which they had a 46-yard play and a drive in which they had a 27-yard play, and they got six points out of that. And see, here's the deal, man, and I talk about it all the time. Typically, when you have a gain of more than 20 yards on a drive, you score a touchdown. 
that's why you want big plays because it's hard to consistently drive the ball 80 yards on 12 plays uh, because somebody will screw it up. Well, they got the big plays, but they couldn't finish off the drives. You know, one stopped at the five, one stopped at the eight. Uh, it's only in the second half they finally got those converted those red zone opportunities. So yeah. they've still got to be more consistent offensively to take advantage when they do get a big play because they get so few of them. Yeah, and, and that's where I think that that was interesting to me was you look at Dallas in the first half. They had five drive, essentially five drives in the first half. You had the opportunity where, and maybe it was weird that McCarthy called the timeout and he shouldn't have, but it ended up working out okay for them because they actually ended up getting an opportunity when they got the stop on the Giants for the field goal attempt at the half. But Dallas had 207 yards of offense in the first half. They were averaging 7.4 yards per play. Twice they got inside the 10 in the red zone and they had six points. Yeah, they're supposed to have a much bigger lead, bro. Right, and, and, I mean, and that's okay. Well, Lamb dropped the, if Lamb doesn't drop the ball, Lamb wasn't in the red zone, all right? That wasn't a red zone play. Like, how in the world do you ever get inside the 10 twice and you get a field goal out of that is bizarre to me. Well, one of them was a penalty. Took it from third and three. Right, right, yeah. To third and eight. You know, I, I forget how the other one happened, but, um, you know, dude, it's, again, this offense the way it's currently constructed is not that good. And so they have to really take advantage of the opportunities that they get. They can't blow them. When they get big plays, they got to score touchdowns. When they get inside the red zone, they can't be kicking field goals. They got to score touchdowns because they're not going to be ripping and running up and down the field for the most part. Uh, and so, you know, that to me is is their issue, and that's that's their focus and uh, they got to continue to get better at that. Otherwise, uh, bro, it's, it's just going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what happened on that second one? They missed the hold on Noah Brown. Yeah, that was – like, how in the world? Plays like that, I wonder what – because there's always somebody on the field that's that, – like, whatever your assignment is as, as whatever referee you are, for that to happen right in front of you like that and you don't see that, it just makes you wonder, what the hell are you looking at? Like, how in maybe. the world that's not – that was blatant holding. I mean, maybe that was as obvious as I've ever seen. Maybe he blinked right then. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, sometimes but I you wonder – That, uh, that happened know, twice in Noah Brown tonight. It did. And, and those are the types of things where I just wonder, will we ever get to a point – and you don't necessarily want to make – like where coaches can challenge penalties – but you just wonder, like, we have the technology. Why is there not an off – like, uh, an eye-in-the-sky ref – who goes, hey, you guys missed that one. We got to throw a flag on that. Like, we can't have that because everybody watching the game can see that because we all have a million TVs and a million replays now. Yeah, but shoot, man. You know, then they're going to be with that whole, you call holding on every play. Well, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's like more egregious, you know, because, yes, you probably can call holding on every play, which is always the argument. And a lot of the times it evens out because the Cowboys got away with one with the, the digs play where they call it a pass interference on the Giants. And I didn't think that yeah. was pass interference at all whatsoever. I mean, Aikman it explained it. Bad luck. Right. You know, so it evened out. And then the Giants fans are booing and they're all pissed. I'm like, come on. I mean, you know, it's that's even now, always, clown. That's how it always goes. So that that's one of those things. But it's just the frustration of this. But it's a win and they scored 23 points. And what you, I had it, I think, at 17-14 Cowboys winning. So it was a little bit more it, uh, than that. I had it 16-13 Giants. So I got the Giants right. Score anyway. 
The Cowboys' uh, offense a little more impressive than you thought. The run game was impressive tonight. I mean, if they, if they can do that, they're going to win some games. Yeah, I mean, I think the key. I mean, I, I mean, we talk. I, I think the key is Jason Peters. Jason Peters will be a a good to solid guard, whereas Connor McGovern is average to slightly below average, and Farniak is below average to bad. So, I mean, yep. I'm serious. So, if you just replace a solid to good, you know, because Tyler Smith has gotten better every game. Uh, he had uh, two penalties tonight. Uh, the hold was a legit hold, but, hey, it happens. Uh, but for but I'm here to tell you now, um, he's a factor in the run game. And when they pull that dude and he gets out in front, ain't nobody trying to get in his way. Yeah. Um and so I see why they drafted him. Um, I thought it was dumb that they were talking about Connor McGovern has beaten him out because he's a first-round pick. If, if he can play it all, then you let him play through it, Evan Neal, and see what he can do. Uh, but now that he's in there at left tackle, um, you should feel pretty good about him at left tackle. He's only going to get better. No doubt. And, uh, yeah, it makes the loss of Tyron Smith – not seem quite so daunting now because by the end of the season, I think Tyler Smith is going to be pretty good. He's like he's been. I think he's been a lot better than they thought even he would be. Like and that could be very well because they acted like he couldn't play. Yeah, and so you know somebody will text me or email. Hey, you said he sucked. I never said he sucked. I just said if you draft a dude in the first round of position in need and he can't start then you made a bad pick. Right. And it, I, I, right. I would stand behind that regardless. But he is now starting. He is now playing. And uh, he's playing well, and he's showing you why they, they were so high on him. And uh, so, I mean, you got to be impressed because, again, you didn't hear anybody. You didn't hear the quarterback getting killed from the left tackle spot because if he couldn't play, guess what would happen? What Demarcus Lawrence did to Evan Neal, that's what happens when you can't play in the National Football League. Yeah, and, and I'm part of it, like you just pointed out, really is based on what the Cowboys were saying. I mean, let's keep in mind, before the season started, they were going to go with McGovern at left guard and Tyron Smith at left tackle, and that's what they were going to roll out there with. And then that whole clip where McCarthy talked about how McGovern would actually be a really good fullback, he thinks. And you're sitting yeah. here going, oh, okay, so your first-round pick can't beat out a dude at left guard who you think would be a really good fullback. Yeah, what's wrong with that picture, bro? Right, and so I, I I, don't think the Cowboys realize maybe what they even had or how ready he might be because he's been really, really good. He has been, and it's, it's a big win, man. I mean, 2-1 and one, when your starting quarterback is injured and you don't have Michael Gallup out there yet. It's This could get interesting when those guys get back and, and you've got Washington. If you can get the 3-1 and one before you've got to play the Rams and the Eagles – and I don't know what to make of the Rams. And my God, the Eagles are on. I mean, the Eagles with the, this version of Jalen Hurts, this is a team. You might have been right. I hate to admit it, but it's hard to act like the. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see that Eagles team in the Super Bowl, the way they've been playing the first three weeks. No, nah, they look good, man. But, uh, you know, the Cardinals were 7 0 last year and stumbled home. Very true. It's a long season. And, and that's why sometimes you just need a meal, man, in the middle of the season. You, you just got to swing by Smokey John's barbecue. <laughs> Go in there. Order. You don't even have to order off the menu. You know why? Because you just say Jam Session Bowl. It's only available to those of you listening to the podcast. 
For those of you that are new to the podcast, you're like, Jam Session Bowl, what is that? So it's Smokey John's Barbecue, which is just north of downtown Dallas off Mockingbird. They have an item that they created only for people who listen to the podcast. It's the Jam Session Bowl. And you get to choose. It's either made from scratch macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes as the base. And then you get to choose from two different types of meat, whatever you like to top it with. And then all the stuff like you would put on a baked potato, you drizzle it with the Smokey John's barbecue sauce. That is the jam session bowl. Nah, man. Uh, Smokey John's is fantastic. The food, whatever you get, whether it's a jam session bowl, anything off the secret menu, anything on the menu, it's all superb. It's all fantastic. I try not to go more than a couple times a month because, I mean, seriously. I'm not trying to be a fat guy, but uh, uh, the rub is good. The sauce is great. You want a little taste of Smokey John's? You don't live in Dallas? Hey, go to the go to the website. Click on Marketplace. You can add a sauce to your rub at the crib uh, in two or three days. Uh, they're at HEBs, uh, especially the one in Frisco. Go there if you want it. It's uh, the rub. I mean, dude, they're blowing up. I mean, hell, they were on Jimmy Kimmel last week. What I mean, what else you want to say about them? They rock with us. We rock with them. Smokey John's. Y'all need to go over there and eat, bro. It's yeah, worth your time. It is. It's fantastic. And like you said, I mean, that's it. Like maybe you're like jam session bowl. That sounds like a lot. Then just order anything. Well, what do I order? Literally order anything. This is not one of those places. Oh, don't stay away from the brisket. You have to get the ribs. You can get the ribs. You can get the brisket. You can get the sausage. You can get the catfish. I mean, it is all of what they do is very, very good. I'm telling you. Smokey John's Barbecue. Also, HFX Foundation Solutions, a full-service foundation repair company. They take care of all of DFW. So if you're listening in the North Texas area, they got you, man. They specialize in slab and pier and beam foundation repair, as well as drainage and gutter installations. Like, you don't realize how that type of thing plays into your foundation with the soil washout and all that. So if you're experiencing sticking doors, you're starting to notice some cracks in your ceilings and your walls, just get that peace of mind. Go ahead and call Aaron. It's a free, no obligation inspection. They'll come out and go through your home to see what's going on. And, and again, foundation is one of those things. You catch it early. If you do have a problem, you can save yourself thousands of dollars down the road. And that, friends, is why we lovingly say call Aaron and his team over there at HFX and get a colonoscopy for your house. Have them give it to once over. From the top to the bottom, check the foundation, check those sticking windows and door frames and all that stuff. And just make sure that your crib is good, man. Because if it is, you get that peace of mind. And you need to really do it this year because the weather we've had has been weird, man. We had all that heat. Then we had all that rain. That's how foundations shift. You don't want yours shifting, bro. Go call Aaron and his team and, hey, say, hey, just ask, can you get my house a colonoscopy? They'll start <laughs> laughing and then they'll schedule you. That'll be awesome. It's 817 817- Seven seven zero zero one seven four. Check them out online at hfxfoundation.com. I was saying before we wrapped up, I wanted to go through some of the questions that you had on your Twitter that people, many of our listeners have tweeted in. So let's just roll through a few of these before we say goodnight to everybody. Casey tweets in, touch on if Dorrance Armstrong is replacing Randy Gregory adequately. And that's interesting because Randy Gregory has actually been solid in three games with the Broncos so far. Two sacks, two forced fumbles, and five quarterback hits. But Dorrance Armstrong has three sacks and three quarterback hits. So I would say just from the money that, yeah, through three games, Dorrance Armstrong is replacing Randy Gregory fairly nicely. Um, He also had another sack negated by... uh... 
a penalty defensive uh, that might have been somebody's penalty negated a sack and then uh, he also blocked the field goal in the first mm-hmm. quarter mm-hmm. uh so yeah Darnell Armstrong is playing really well really well uh they're getting their whatever they paid him which wasn't too much it wasn't but 17 getting, million a year no nah, it's more like <laughs> 4 or 5 million dollars a year but he's he's really taking advantage of it man and and it doesn't matter why uh, because Cooper, uh, I mean, Michael Parsons draws so much attention, but Doran Armstrong is making himself a factor. And sometimes, sometimes this happens when a guy has time to develop. He's a fourth-round pick. He was from Kansas. Um, not much was asked of him, so he had time to spend four years developing to get to this point, and now he's uh, getting a chance to start, and he's playing good. You can't say anything else about it. No, I, I would agree. A couple of you, and, and I knew this was going to happen. We got Brian who tweeted this, Charles who tweeted a version of this. I imagine some of you, as I scroll down, would have this, but it would basically be that idea. If Coop keeps winning, does it affect when Dak would return? Do they keep Rush as a starter? A couple of those types of questions. I, I no, no, and, and no. Like somebody else had tweeted in earlier something about the idea, would you sit Dak out longer since they're having such success with Cooper Rush? And my thought was, if Dak is healthy and the doctors say, look, he can play, then he's going to play. Right, because again, Cooper is doing a really good job as backup, okay? He's doing a really good job, but you're not lighting up the scoreboard. Dak's a better player. You should have more offensive success with Dak than you have with Cooper. Um, here's the deal, though. What it does is it means you don't have to rush him back and his thumb's not ready. When his thumb is ready and he can do pass all the protocols to get back, then he comes back. It just means you don't have to resi- You don't have to think about should we rush him back and his thumb's really not healed because we, we're falling out of the race and we got to stay in it. Yeah, I think, again, guys, the the Cooper Rush thing, it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I want him to be successful. I don't want Cooper Rush to suck. I want him to be good, which I think is what Jerry was trying to say. You want him to play really well because you want, when Dak comes back and is healthy to take over, that you're where you thought you would have been with Dak anyway because you didn't fall off the, the planet because Cooper Rush is playing. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing happen, at least through two starts so far. And as you've pointed out, there's not a lot of tape on Cooper Rush. There, there's three games now, two games from this season. And so the longer that he gets exposed and the more that teams have on him, they'll see what he does well, and they'll start game planning and finding ways to take that away. Will that happen before Dak comes back? It sounds like it won't because it sounds like Dak thinks he's going to be back for the Los Angeles Rams game. Right. Uh, which is what, three weeks, right? It's the week after. It's the next one after this one. So we're what oh, is yes, this? before Philadelphia. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's week five. Yeah, because you got Washington and then you'd have the Rams. And if that's the case, I mean, he barely missed any time at all. Was that four games? Three games. It'd be three full games. Yeah. No, they, I think they'd have to be happy with that. I would imagine. I mean, if he can get in there and grip and everything is fine, we'll see. Well, that's the whole thing. Can you grip the football and throw it with the velocity that you got to have it? Yeah, and and a couple of you, again, tweeting in, and it's kind of this idea like Happy tweets in, and a couple of others have commented on this as well. Kellen Moore needs to keep the play calling the same when Dak returns. Offense will be more explosive. Uh, Captain necessary. Kellen play calling finally catering. 
finally being smart, just things like that. And I thought Kellen called a good game tonight. I thought they had some good calls. We kind of talked about that with the split. It helps when the run game works the way that you want it to. But I also applaud them because it felt like there were times in the first couple of games where it was working, but they went away from it for whatever reason. Tonight, they didn't, and it worked. And the offense looked, I I hate to say it right now, I think that might be about as good as the offense can look. Yeah, there there was still some, uh, you can always disagree with a call when it doesn't work. Um you know, and there were a couple of those, and I try to stay away from that because obviously, if it didn't work, you, you sometimes you're like, yeah, I wish I had done a different play. Uh, some some of most of my most of my complaints is just about situational. Like I think they threw it on third and one after they've been running it well. It's like go ahead. This is right before they kicked the field goal. I think it's like, yeah, I think it was one of those plays where Noah Brown got held. Uh, but I'm like, just you were running the ball good. Go run it and get the first down. Because uh, I thought it was more like a two-down territory thing. So, stuff like that. But, um, again, man, they find ways to win. If they go 3-1, and man, after losing Dak, uh, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. I don't, think anybody, I don't think anybody saw it, nor should we have seen it. I would agree. I, I did not think that at all. I mean, obviously, that night that they lost to Tampa in the season opener, I was convinced they're going 0-6. <laughs> I mean, I was. I, I never in a million years thought that this team would find this way. The defense is very, very good. As Patch tweets in, talk about how bad they'll lose next week. Can't get too excited by beating a garbage team. And this is, again, this is what I said. So then who, who's good in the NFL and who's garbage? Because like I said, when you look at it and you look at some of the games and teams that lost, like, so what does that tell us about the Chiefs, the fact that they, they got beat by a Colts team who had been garbage the first couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, the league is still, everybody is still trying to figure out where they are in the league. And don't forget, man, a lot of these cats didn't play in the preseason. This is their preseason, which is, to me, one reason why this, the games, some of the games are kind of wonky. Um, but, you know, I, I believe this. I don't look at this team and say, oh, they're so good they can style point wins. No, they're, they're, they're just happy to win. It's okay for them to just stack wins. Uh, you know, if you're the Chiefs, okay, you can style point wins if you want to. Uh, if you're a couple other teams, maybe you can style point wins. This team is not good enough to be style point wins. It's hard to win every week in the league for this team. So the fact that they got uh, two in a row, more power to them. And if they play good, they should get three in a row next week. Yeah, and I mean, look, you, it goes as far as this. What if the Cowboys played Jacksonville and lost? Oh, my God, they lost that shit team. You guys realize that Jacksonville just went into the Chargers and smoked them at home 38-10? to 10? The Chargers are 1-2, and two, Jacksonville's 2-1. and one. So, again, it's the NFL, man. This is not college football where an FCS school randomly out of the blue figured out a way to upset you. All these teams, for the most part, are, I mean, these games come down, we know this. It's a play here, a play there. These are NFL players. Now, Jacksonville, and I I was saying, Jacksonville might be better than we think they are. I don't know that the Chargers are worse than we thought they are. Maybe they are. Maybe we get halfway through the season. But how in the world you're supposed to know in an NFL season in the first month who's good and who's not, I have no idea. No, nobody's not going to know. You you know, I keep telling you all, it's it's really, history has shown, it's really all about um, can you stay in a race, in the playoff race, until Thanksgiving, and then yeah. see if you can make it happen 
those last six weeks of the season. Yeah, that's what Nate would always tell me when we were doing Cowboys pregame stuff together. When we were on ESPN, he'd always be like, oh, no, season doesn't start until Thanksgiving. I was like, what do you mean? And he would always just be like, that's how it is. He's like, it doesn't, he's like I don't even care what the record is. He's like, if you're in it and you've got a shot when you get to Thanksgiving, that's when the season begins. I was like, man, okay, interesting. Because by that time, injuries have happened. And you kind of have an understanding of who has what it takes to make a run as you get into the stretch part. But up until then, and I mean, really, you're just trying to survive. That's what the Cowboys are doing. They're doing a pretty damn good job of it right now. No, this is exactly what they're doing, bro. That's what I'm telling you. It's it's about if they can get the 3-0 with Cooper Rush as a quarterback next week, it's fantastic because it's more than you thought. If you told them, they told them, whoever was playing quarterback, your Dallas Cowboys would be 3-1 three, three after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. I promise you they would take it because they also look at it and go, if we can get the 3-1, and one, you know, and then we'll see what happens against the Rams and the Eagles, two teams I think are better. But even if we lose those two, we got the Lions and the Bears. Yeah. We should be at worst five and three at the break, having lost our quarterback for a month. We'll take that. That's pretty damn good, man. If they, they can, can get, if, you know, right. take care of business and do what they do. And, and, you know, if they decide that, oh, we split the Eagles and the Rams. Now you got a re- now you got a chance to really be six and two, and nobody would have picked that. So they have a chance to do some good things. Uh, they got to fix this offense, and maybe Michael Gallup coming back will help. I still think we're going to look back and go, Jason Peters, that was the move right there. It very well might have been, man, and and because they look like a different offensive line with Jason Peters out there, and that run game was crushing it. By the way, they do have Washington next Sunday. So Jacques and I are going to have this podcast. Many of you will be listening to it, obviously, on Tuesday, September 27th. We will have another podcast for you tomorrow on Wednesday, September 28th, going back through some of these things and a podcast on Friday. So we're still going to give you the three podcasts this week. We just pushed this one out after the Cowboys game. But it is the rare noon kick next week. The noon kick as Washington will be in Dallas on Sunday, October 2nd. And Washington... This Dallas team that has been mauling opposing offensive line, Washington just allowed nine sacks against the Eagles this past weekend. So the good news is that's, not a, that's another team that has a shady offensive line going up against a Dallas team that really likes to get into the backfield. And one thing we know is that this team can rush the passer this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Carson Wentz. Wentz. Yep. Carson Wentz. Uh, good luck next week, bro. They're coming for you. I mean, you, you look at this with Washington. They barely beat Jacksonville in their season opener. Then they, they lost to the Lions and then, of course, lost to the Eagles. And now they've got the Cowboys. And, yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, granted, we're still a few days away, but I like the Cowboys. I, I think they're going to beat Washington. I think they're going to be sitting at 3-1, and one, and the season is going to get really interesting. I mean, let's keep in mind, man, if you can go 3-1 and one in your four little quadrants through the season, that's a 12-4 and four season with that extra 17th game. Are you going to be 12-5? and five? You're going to be 11-6 and six. or 11-5 and five or whatever. <laughs> that's all you got to do, man. Go 3-1. and one. Win three out of every four, and you're in the playoffs, hands down, every time. Yeah, no doubt about that, bro. And I don't care if a guy, now, I don't care who you play. 
the, the trick is whether they can do it. But it starts with continuing to play good defense and take care of business next week against an inferior opponent, which is Washington. They stink. Um, you just got to go out there and beat them. You got to do what you do, play good, and go beat them. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see what happens, man. But we will be back again. You got another episode coming your way tomorrow. And we've got some fun stuff on our next one because you were sending me all kinds of fun little stories. <laughs> yes, I was, uh, you know, I was trying to do a little work, bro. Yeah, because of you, and we'll expand on this more on our next podcast. Because of yes. Jacques, I watched a live feed from NASA. Wow. I will, tell you, I will, and I will tell you about it. I got all kinds of stuff to get into on the next podcast. Oh, I didn't even tell you the two shows I've been watching. Too. No, and I got a show to tell you that I've been watching. Oh, oh, oh look I'm at this. So God, look we at this. who knows if we'll even talk football the next time around. Yeah, you know. It'll be an hour and a half of all these shows and whatnot that we've been doing outside of what's going on with football. Hell yeah. All right, kids. Enjoy it. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.